0: This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bauerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control.
1: Welcome to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. This is your guest co-host, Jennifer Milner, here today to interview the founder and host of the Bendy Bodies podcast, Dr. Linda Bluestein. Dr. Bluestein is a former ballet dancer, integrative medicine physician, and board-certified anesthesiologist who specializes in hypermobility disorders. She's also the founder and former co-host of the podcast Hypermobility Happy Hour, and is a contributing author for the book Disjointed, Navigating the Diagnosis and Management of Hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and Hypermobility Spectrum Disorders. Dr. Bluestein and I have been working together in the hypermobility field for a few years now, presenting at iAdams and sharing clients, and now working together on this podcast that she founded. So, welcome to your own podcast. <laughs> I thought that it would be great for the listeners to hear from you because as much as we have experts on in their own fields, you are hands down as well, an expert in this field and have so much information to get out there. So I wanted people to hear from you. So how did you make the leap from dancer to doctor to hypermobility specialist? (laughs) So
0: uh, that is an interesting question. I did really want to be a professional ballet dancer. That was absolutely my, my dream. I fell in love with ballet from the very first time I went to a performance, like so many other people, of course, and had quite, started having quite a few injuries and other health problems that uh, in high school made me realize that I needed to come up with a plan B. And I had also always been interested in science and medicine. And so when I chose my undergrad university, I chose UC Irvine, which has an excellent dance program. Early on, I wanted to do, as I was finishing up medical school, I knew that I wanted to work with dancers, but I also at that time thought the only path for that was to do orthopedics. And even though I didn't know why I was having so many joint problems, at that time, I knew that I could not do orthopedics. I knew that my body would not be able to handle the physical requirements. So I did a 20 plus year detour into anesthesiology. Um, And then I started having some more health problems, had some pretty major surgeries, including some bone grafting surgeries and spine surgery. And that led to my uh, discovery of Ehlers-Danlos syndromes and the realization that this is an area of tremendous need. So I started writing about it, researching it, speaking about it, um, taking care of patients, and basically doing everything that I can just to help as many people as possible with these really complicated and difficult to understand disorders.
1: Excellent. So your your own misfortune <laughs> is our gain.
0: <laughs> and, and it's funny because at the time, I remember when I had the bone grafting surgery, that was the last problem that I had. And I was Working in the operating room, this was not that many years ago, and and I was devastated. You know, you think of all the years that it takes to train to be an anesthesiologist, and it was really really hard for me for a very long time to say that I could no longer practice as an anesthesiologist. But it's I use this example all the time with my patients. That so often the thing that is the worst possible thing we can imagine at that time turns out to be the best possible thing. And I Mm. never in a million years could have pictured myself being in a position where I could impact so many more people. As an anesthesiologist, I was taking care of one person at a time. And now I have the ability to impact so many more people's lives. So it's, it really was a gift. And I know that sounds probably really cliche, but it, it is true.
1: Well, that is true. And it's great to look at the things that are put in your life that challenge you as something that you can turn into the things that you can use to bless other people. So right. I, I love that story. Um, so details here. There, <laughs> the, word, the word hypermobility is thrown around so much. Um, and I know that there are so many different types out there. Um, and so what are the different types that you can encounter? What, what is there beyond just being bendy?
0: Let's just start with some very brief definitions. So joint hypermobility just means simply that a joint has a greater than average range of motion and that's literally all that that means. A hypermobility disorder or some people say hypermobility syndrome means that a person has joint hypermobility and has symptoms. Joint hypermobility all by itself is not necessarily a problem. It it can be it can be associated with other things, but that's why it's critically important are are they Are they bendy, but they're otherwise perfectly fine and have no other symptoms? Or are they bendy and they have other, excuse me, I just said other symptoms. Uh, Are they bendy and have some symptoms that may be related to that? And actually, this is a good time to just mention very quickly, symptoms versus signs. Symptoms are things that a person feels within their body, headaches, dizziness, nausea, vomiting. Those are symptoms. Signs are things that other people can see. Like a rash or mm. um, or that can be measured like blood pressure and, and things like that, um, so joint hypermobility simply refers to range of motion, and hypermobility disorders is a very large umbrella that refers to people that have symptoms or signs and/ or signs related to this type of picture and we 're going to talk a little bit later, I know, about well, do you even have to be bendy, and this is where it gets really confusing and complicated. So when it comes to joint hypermobility, you can have several different types. So if you have, let's say you have hypermobile shoulders and that's it, that's considered localized joint hypermobility. And that would be abbreviated LJH. If you have hypermobility just in your fingers and toes, that's called peripheral joint hypermobility. And if you have hypermobility in generally, we consider five or more joints that's generalized joint hypermobility, and that's abbreviated GJH. And the key thing to know about generalized joint hypermobility is a lot of times when people are talking about joint hypermobility, they're not specifying the generalized type that we're talking. You know, usually when we talk about um, hypermobility, we're kind of thinking of this group of people that have lots of bendy joints. Mm-hmm. That's why I like to start with like you know just by itself that. Only means that there is a joint that's hypermobile. When we talk about generalized joint hypermobility, these people are hypermobile in lots of different places, and the challenge is that there's different scoring systems out there. None of them are perfect. Um, The ones that are more simple and easier to use also can miss a lot of cases. Um, My favorite scoring tool probably is the five-point questionnaire, which um, came out in 2003, and that takes into account historical information. So that's that's really important to know. And then in 2017, the International Consortium on Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes and Related Disorders, they came out with new classifications for these syndromes. So not everyone who's bendy has a connective tissue disorder, but some will. So what that means is that people can be bendy for a wide variety of reasons, um, it could be due to the shape of the bones, it could be due to the strength of the connective tissue, it could be due to um, uh, muscle tone, um, a wide, certain races tend to have more bendiness than other races, um, and so when it comes to having a connective tissue disorder, so that means that, <clears throat> excuse me, the reason why people are bendy is because their connective tissue is weak, so the the collagen, the things that make up our ligaments are Um, tendons, um, muscles, all of these different parts of the body, if those are weak and we have a connective tissue disorder, then the most common connective tissue disorder is the Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. And in 2017, they defined these much more clearly. There was a lot of confusion going up to that point. And now we know that there are, at this point anyway, there's 14 different subtypes of EDS. The challenge is that the most common type, the hypermobile type, does not have a molecular marker. So what that means is that there's no blood test for that. There's no genetic test for that. Um, And that's what comprises the most common of the um, Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. And then there's other types of connective tissue disorders that fall under there, but that's kind of the general lay of the land.
1: Interesting, so you could have the trick shoulder that you take out at parties and have... (laughs) and have no other issues going on with your body and be totally fine. Yes. Yes. Or you could have hypermobility in several different joints and still be totally fine and have no symptoms or signs um, of something else going on within your body.
0: Right, exactly. And I'm glad you brought up party tricks right away or (laughs) circus tricks, whatever. Party tricks, yes. Party tricks. If you are a contortionist or you know, you work for Cirque du Soleil, you know, you or you want to work for Cirque du Soleil, then then perhaps that's something that, you know, you're going to continue to do. You're training for those kinds of things. But for the average person, even for a dancer, you know, those types of maneuvers where you really are getting the joint out of alignment and putting it back in, you, you really want to control that a lot better for, especially for what it is that you want to do. So I used to do party tricks all the time. Mm-hmm. And now when I look at it from my lens of, you know, a few more years down the road, I think back <laughs> and I think, I really wish I didn't do that so much. <laughs> so I, I tell my patients, I ask them, especially if they don't already have a diagnosis of EDS and I suspect that they have EDS, I ask them to show me their party tricks. I videotape them, I take photos, et cetera. And I document them, and then I say, please don't do those anymore. Again, (laughs) if it's necessary for your profession, that's different. But if you're, if you know, again, think about what your. I always try to ask people, think about what their goals are. If your goals are to be a classical ballet dancer, then your training that's going to be appropriate for your body is going to be very different than if your goal is is to be in Cirque du Soleil. You know, so Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to be aware that all of these things are potentially beneficial because you need to have a certain amount of flexibility and range of motion in these various different um, athletic and endeavors. But at the same time, they do come with a risk. And just because it's not painful now doesn't mean that it won't be painful in the future. And my whole goal is to help younger people stay as active as they can and avoid having chronic pain later on in the, in the future. And it can be very challenging because they, you know, if your body feels good, it obviously you're going to have a different approach, but most people have had at least some injury. And so then they are more open to this type of information.
1: Yes. And that it's great to talk about discovering it or, um, acknowledging it as a young person and saying, what can we do now to support you so that you don't have pain later on? If the reason you're coming in is not because you've already gotten to the point of pain, right? Right. Exactly. I want, I want people to not need me
0: or somebody right. like me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to put myself completely out of business and other people that are doing things like me by having a lot less chronic pain in the future.
1: Yes, definitely. Yes. And I, I love that too. <laughs> um, so, so you've talked about flexibility here, and the different degrees of flexibility and the party tricks, um, and how they can all lead to bigger issues of hypermobility syndrome disorder or EDS. Um, so, if someone isn't super flexible, does that mean they are eliminated from the possibility of having a hypermobility disorder? So, as you know from working with with the dancers
0: and everybody that you that you work with and all the programs that you've developed. Flexibility has so much to do with muscle and fascia and a lot of other things besides just the joint, which a joint is any place where two or more bones come together. And so the range of motion of a joint can be limited due to a lack of flexibility of the soft tissues. So flexibility and hypermobility or hypomobility are definitely separate things. And the challenging thing is that for most of the different scoring systems that have been developed, they don't take that into consideration. So Mm -hmm. for example, the Bighton score, which is the one that's most frequently used, it actually, you're not really supposed to take into account if a person has had an injury or surgery. Well, once a person has had surgery on a joint, that dramatically changes the range of motion of that joint.
1: Absolutely. And
0: yeah. And I remember when I had surgery, I trained at the Mayo Clinic, and I, I went back there for surgery. I, I actually, um, believe it or not, you can actually do this. I did it on a dance floor. Um, I collided with someone, and I dislocated my ulnar nerve. <gasps> and I didn't know you could do that, but apparently you can. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I tore what's called the retinaculum and because of my weak connective tissue. And at mm-hmm. that time, I did not know that I had EDS, and I did not understand why I got injured so easily. And I asked my doctors, why do I get injured so easily? But they, they said, you're fine. Um, anyway, so I, I had that injury, I went to Mayo Clinic, and they, my orthopedic surgeon at Mayo Clinic measured my range of motion of both of my elbows and said, wow, you're super bendy. By the way, after this surgery, you will lose that hyperextension of your elbows. Or your elbow, I should say, the on the side that they were operating on. But they never said what the significance of that was. They mm-hmm. didn't check for bendiness anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea at that time what that meant. No clue whatsoever. But now that elbow does not hyperextend. Technically speaking, I've lost that point on the bite, on the bite and score.
1: And scale. Mm-hmm.
0: And and so that's a problem, you know. So and especially to me, the biggest problem is that the Criteria for, and I know you and I both use the worksheet from the Ehlers Danlos Society, which, you know, they they really did do a very good job of trying to put this together into like a concise document that people like primary care providers could look at and try to sort out does this diagnosis apply to this person? But the challenge is it starts with the Biden score. And so if you're an older person and have had multiple injuries and things like that. Maybe you were super, super bendy when you were younger, and that has contributed to your lifelong history of problems, but now you're not bendy anymore. So it it is really complicated, and most clinicians are seeing lots of different types of problems, and they need to know about a wide variety of problems, and they are seeing these patients in their practice, but they may or may not be recognizing it. Once you start to see these conditions, you cannot unsee them. <laughs> One, yeah. Once I started to under, really understand, that's why I try to educate as many clinicians as I can, because if they open their eyes to it just a little bit, then they will realize that an under, having an understanding of these hypermobility disorders will actually make managing these patients easier, not harder.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow, I really so, digressed. Sorry. No, 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 you didn't because it's important. It's so hard to find that one person that can actually see you and really yes. see you and yes. to know where to go from there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit because it's so, it can be so frustrating and feel like you're completely alone. Um, but you mentioned, just going back a little bit, you mentioned earlier, you acknowledge that dancers and acrobats and contortionists do have some things that they have to do for their, for themselves uh, for their, or for their job. And so how do you know, if you're one of those bendy people, how do you know if you have like the good or safe hypermobility with the pretty lines um, or if you have the bad or difficult hypermobility? So what kind of, what signs should someone be looking for? So definitely being more hypermobile
0: is beneficial in certain professions and it's I would say it's more a matter of are you able to manage whatever the underlying reason is why you're hypermobile in the first place. So for example, I don't know how many listeners will have heard my episode with Valerie from Cirque du Soleil on the hypermobility happy hour. But if if people have not heard it, it would be great to go and, and listen to that episode. I met her at IAdams in Montreal and She has a sister that has an EDS diagnosis, and she said, I know I probably have EDS also, but I can manage it because Cirque du Soleil is really proactive in terms of risk reduction with their athletes and has really helped her to, while maintaining this incredible range of motion, also build a lot of strength into it and Mm -hmm. optimizing alignment and and things like that. So I, I tend to think of... Hypermobility being itself not necessarily good or bad because it depends on what you're doing. Um, I think that instability is the thing that is you know pretty much always not ideal, especially if you're not doing something like you know contortionism or or something um, and and that's where building strength into the body is so important and I love when you and I spoke with Mau McCormick, and she said. That building strength into the body is just the you know uh, benefits the dancer at every every age throughout their lifespan, and so in terms of uh, bad versus um, problematic hypermobility, I say that very much depends on uh, muscle strength. But in terms of knowing whether or not a person has a connective tissue disorder, there are three hallmarks of connective tissue disorders, and and the first one is the loose joints. Um, and the second one is stretchy skin. And the third one is fragile tissues. So if you have loose joints, but your skin isn't stretchy and your tissues aren't fragile, then then that's much better than if you have all three of those things. If you have all three of those things, that's when I think, you know, you probably should consider that, you know, well, maybe there is an underlying connective tissue to Disorder going on, and it and that's what explains the loose joints.
1: So, when you say fragile tissues, are you talking about you bruise easily, or you scar easily, or you heal slowly? What sort of things are you talking about? All of those. Okay,
0: <laughs> you 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 hit the nail on the head with with a lot of those. So yes, I I. When I look at my patients, I, I really, if they've had any kind of surgeries, I definitely like to look at, at how well they scar because some will develop these really widened scars. Some will have um, you know, tissue breakdown, they, they won't really um, heal properly at all. Um, There are certain things, like we talked earlier about the different types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and the vascular type is one that's very, very important to be aware of. And if people have the vascular type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, they actually aren't necessarily as um, bendy as some of the other types, but they do have a lot more fragile blood vessels. So they will have um, a lot of problems with bleeding and a lot of problems with really excessive bruising. It's very common mm. to have bruising with the other um, things under the umbrella. Uh, abnormal bruising is definitely quite common. Um, but in terms of like, like quite significant bleeding, that's something that definitely needs to be brought to the attention of of a healthcare professional because that might indicate something more serious. So, but yeah, you have the nail on the head for all of those. And I think looking at scars tends to be very, very interesting.
1: Mm so so, if someone has has found that they kind of tick all the boxes here that we 've talked about and um, seem feel like they 're leaning towards a hypermobility spectrum disorder um, as they 're sitting in their chair freaking out, <laughs> is there a cure for hypermobility spectrum disorders
0: so so there's not a cure per se, but I would say that the important thing to know is that there are so many things that can be done to manage symptoms. So a couple a couple of th- important things to know. Number one, the the exact label is not as important as the symptoms that the person is dealing with and those can change over time. So it's very important to have your healthcare team address whatever symptoms that you're dealing with and work best on solutions for those symptoms and working on getting those improved and there's so much that can be done. I've just I'm amazed at how much improvement I've seen in a lot of my patients, but especially when we catch things sooner. And that's why it's so important for people to be aware of these disorders as early as possible um, so that they can take steps to improve their quality of life. Because a lot of what they can do, they don't need a doctor to help them with.
1: Mm. Okay, so if there's no cure for uh, hypermobility spectrum disorder, is there a benefit to getting a diagnosis?
0: There definitely is. Because I would say that for, when other healthcare professionals are treating someone, if they see that on the list of diagnoses, then it may help guide their care of that person. And hopefully, as more and more clinicians become aware of these disorders, more and more people will recognize the significance of seeing that on the list. And and while we're on this topic, I do want to just explain very briefly what hypermobility spectrum disorders are. In 2017, when the International Consortium on Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes and Related Disorders, when they came up with the new criteria and new classifications for in particular, they really addressed hypermobile EDS very specifically. They really tightened up the criteria for hypermobile EDS. And they did that in part because they really want to find the genetic marker for hypermobile EDS. And this is a very important thing to do Mm -hmm. because that way, instead of this being, you know, this person's opinion or that person's opinion, we can say, we've done a genetic analysis. We know for sure that you have this. And and this does affect a lot of people because we know that this is the biggest category. So they introduced this new category, hypermobility spectrum disorder, so that for people who do not have hypermobile EDS, that they would have, they still would have a diagnosis that would help to explain the constellation of symptoms that they had. So I, I think that there's still definitely a benefit to getting a diagnosis. I think a lot of patients, that, that I see in my practice and, I, and a lot of people that I just speak to elsewhere, a lot of people think that this is a lesser than diagnosis, hypermobility mm. spectrum disorders, and so this is a great opportunity to explain that that is absolutely not the case. Um, people who work with these patients all the time, myself included, know that, that there are people who have hypermobile EDS that are have a much higher quality of life than people who for a number of reasons, have been, you know, given the diagnosis of hypermobility spectrum disorder. And a person can also kind of travel up and down that spectrum over their lifetime. And it's this is all a very challenging space because it's really changing quite rapidly. So I'm sure my answers to a lot of these questions will be very different a couple of years from now. But at this point in time, the main thing that we know is that it's just really important to recognize this bigger picture, because there's so much that can be done to manage your symptoms, manage your healthcare. And um, while there's not a cure, there are so many therapeutic options available. And having that hope is critically important because our mindset has so much to do with how our body feels. And the other things that therapies that we will be doing are greatly impacted by our mental thought process going into it.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's something we're going to get into um, later as well. This has been incredibly helpful information for me, and I'm sure for everyone who has been listening. So I am so grateful for you having this conversation with me today. Um, If you would like to hear more, we are going to continue this conversation and go a little more in depth on some of these things um, in our next episode. So for today, you have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. Our guest has been the host of Hypermobility MD, (laughs) Linda (laughs) Bluestein. That's it for today, but we have lots more coming up. So please stay tuned. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this program, please
0: like, share, subscribe, and leave a review. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Please see your own medical team prior to making any changes to your healthcare. Bendy Bodies original music is by Andrew Savino and sound editing is by Rhett Gill. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time on Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD. This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.